The Lollygaggers podcast apologizes for the inflammatory and offensive statements made by Justin this episode. Con Air is a fantastic movie. In this episode, Jeff is the nameless hero sent to save the world in Dragon Quest XI, while Justin gets carried in yet another Battle Royale game with Apex Legends. The Gentleman's Challenge goes back to Justin's childhood with Are You Afraid of the Dark? and then straight to hell with Nicolas Cage's Left Behind. Welcome to episode number 43 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things from comics to games, movies, to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm another one, Justin. Hey, buddy. How you doing today? I'm doing I'm doing swell. I have a big old cup of coffee right next to me. That's probably so a bad all, sign. all wired up. Here we go. Uh, coffee does weird things to me. I'm a little, little loopy right now. Yeah. Like for the first 30 minutes of this podcast, I'm probably going to be off the walls. And then for the second 30 half, you know, 30 minutes, I'm going to be a, going to be sleeping. Me kind of dozing off. So uh, it's going to be a really boring gentleman's challenge, I think. Uh, well, and conversely, I uh, got off from a nap not too long ago, even though it's only one o'clock at my house. So it's too early. <laughs> it's too early to call that a nap, man. Nah, I think it still classifies. It wasn't part of the major uh, sleep of the night. So uh, I, uh, I'm a professional napper. Not many people know this about me. I'm part of the pro circuit. Uh, us in our community, we call ourselves nappies. Um, and there's a whole subreddit Discord. We can talk about it later. But like, I take pride in my ability to nap. So. Um, Maybe one day we'll go deeper into the subject, but uh, yeah. Right. I stopped listening. Uh, okay. All right, like okay. All right. Two words into whatever you were saying. Um, right. That's fine. That's fine. It wasn't like I was exposing myself. It sounded like, a, it sounded like it, uh, you know, an interesting story, but I have a more interesting story I would like to tell. Oh, yeah? So, Justin, let me tell you a story about the year 1989. So, imagine, if you will, a young Jeff baker that's me uh imagine him probably about 130 pounds lighter uh uh tan beautiful blonde hair looks adorable uh you know because i was a very what happened i i maximized attractiveness when i was a kid you peaked when you were like six seven years old seriously i was an adorable kid up until puberty like seriously just i know like every kid is cute but like i mean i probably could have been in commercials and stuff if i had the ability to listen to instruction and uh, and actually memorize, but just looking, at, I was adorable. However, uh, that changed, and everything's just been a steady downhill uh, descent uh, since then. Anyway, nineteen eighty nine. I am a young lad, and uh, when I was a kid, uh, I had an NES, okay, Nintendo Entertainment System, right? Famicom. Some people know this. So. Whenever I wanted a video game for my NES, I would go to the local Kmart because uh, that's where back in the day we bought uh, video games from. And in the back left corner, uh, like when you walk into this Kmart way, way in the back, like hidden in this little spot where like surrounded by cassette tapes and stuff like that, uh, there was this little glass case uh, that had a handful of games inside of it. And I bought many games, and by me, I mean I made my parents uh, buy many games from that particular uh, glass casing. Uh, I remember like winning a bet against my dad uh, to try to like not have like to. I used to have this like elephant that I used to sleep with. Uh, that sounds odd, but when you're a kid, it's not odd. Uh, but I had this little elephant. And my dad bet me that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go a week without sleeping with it, and then I did. And then he tried to like the last night to sneak it into the, into the bed, like, and then he's like. 
what a, what a jerk. Dad, if you're listening to this, I still remember that. And it still hurts the trust that you, uh, that you ruined that day. But anyway, in 1989, after I had gone and looked in this case for all these amazing, uh, amazing games, and they had really generic artwork on the cover, uh, like, cause in the early days of the NES, like a lot of the, like the actual box art wasn't particularly fantastic. It was all very black and like super pixelated stuff. But then I saw this one game that completely changed it. And the artwork of the box for the game was fantastic. And it was called Dragon Warrior. Okay. That was it called. But I didn't know until years later that it was actually called Dragon Quest over in Japan, where it originated from, and that in its like kind of localization in North America, they had changed it to Dragon Warrior. And over the course of the next several years, Dragon Warrior uh, was released multiple times on the NES, one, two, three, and four, all of which I actually still have. Uh, and it was my first real role-playing game. It's the first role-playing game I probably ever played on a video game, uh, at least one of this kind of epic intent, and it was the first JRPG uh, that I had ever played. And I got into JRPGs big time in the 90s, uh, following my Dragon Warrior, all, you know, playing all four of those, and then getting into like Final Fantasy, and then Suikoden, uh, and then also you know getting into, like uh, what's it called, Chrono Trigger and stuff like that. Uh, so I was like a big time JRPG player, but I hadn't played one. Now, here I am nearing 40 and quite a long time. Uh, and so back in September, I saw up on Steam uh, a release of a new game called Dragon Quest XI. So Dragon Quest 11. And it was the same series. And I hadn't played a Dragon Quest game since Dragon Quest 8, which I played years ago on one of the PlayStations, probably PlayStation 2. Um, but I hadn't played one in a really long time. And so I was like, I was going back and forth. I'm like, oh, I really want to play this. But what are the chances of me being able to put 100 hours into a game to really get out of it? Because JRPGs often require that kind of thing. And then the Steam sale came around for Christmas, you know, for the holiday season. And I'm like, hell with it. I'm going to do it. My wife got me a Steam gift card. It's on like 30% off. I went and I bought it. And so I started playing Dragon Quest XI, Dragon Quest Eleven. So I am here to talk today in this episode about Dragon Quest Eleven, and it's going to take roughly 100 hours. Uh, so Dragon Quest Eleven is developed and published by Square Enix. Uh, it is, uh, the main director is Takeshi Uchikawa and Yuji Hori as the main writer and designer that they're credited. Uh, it was released in Japan in the summer of 2017, but it was just worldwide released on the PS4 and then on PC just this past September uh, in the US. There's also a, um, a planned uh, Nintendo Switch port that they're supposed to be doing sometime this year. I don't know if that's coming to America, but it's definitely in Japan. If it does well, it probably will come to America. That's usually how those things go. Uh, now, it is a classic JRPG. It's in the same style as the original Dragon Quest, Dragon Warrior series. It's, you know, like Final, if you played Final Fantasy, very similar. I would say without like a lot of the sort of like the edgy steampunkiness that uh, Final Fantasy sometimes incorporates. Uh, but if you played Suikoden, which was honestly one of my favorite games, uh, th that series, like in the, in the mid 90s, mid to late 90s. So in the game itself, it's the world of Erdria. OK, that's where it takes place. And you play, as you always do in a Dragon Quest game, you play a relatively nameless hero uh, that you know you can put in your own name, obviously. Uh, but you also have a title. You are the Luminary. Or specifically, you are reborn as the Luminary, who is a very uh, iconic figure within the world of Erdria who shows up supposedly if you listen to myth or lore, uh, whenever there's a time of great crisis. And so that is you. And the story begins much like the movie Willow, uh, with a baby being rushed from a castle while being chased by a bunch of bad dudes. 
Uh, in this particular case, they're doula hands. They have like, they're like headless horsemen, basically. And so they're being chased by really bad dudes. And eventually that baby gets separated from who's carrying it and is swept down the river and eventually found by Warwick Davis. Uh, now, the game flashes forward years later after your grandfather, who is the guy who found you, has passed on. And so you're in your teens at this point. And you've reached an age where he has left a message for you. And it's a message aside from, hey, you're adopted, uh, but also a description of why you have the mark on your hand, because you have a very special mark, tattoo, whatever you want to call it, birthmark on your hand. And in order to fully understand what that means, uh, he has told you, he has left a message at this time of your age uh, to go see the king of Heliodor. Heliodor is one of the main countries uh, within the world of Erdria. And by going there, you're going to be able to figure out, like, what do you, you know, what are you? Why are you there? How can you help? What this is all mean? Because the king is known to be a good man and he can help. So after you read this message and you kind of go through this, this coming of age ceremony, this all happens very early in the game. You head out into the world, which is fun. It's exciting. Uh, but obviously things don't go your way because it, it would be very hard to get a hundred hour game out of, you know, just a very simple, hey, I was born, you know, and then now I'm back in the castle now. So you go over to this 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 place, this uh, this Heliodor, you speak to the king and apparently things are not what grandfather thought they would be because there has been a story that's being permeated, this propaganda perhaps that the luminary isn't actually a good thing, but rather kind of a, a sign of an oncoming darkness and shadow because those are bad things. Darkness and shadow are bad. Uh, and so you're referred to as Darkspawn, you're imprisoned, and the game is over. Uh, that's basically it. It's over. You're in jail. Nothing else happens. But fortunately, the prison system within Heliodor is crap, uh, and it's certainly not overcrowded, and so that's nice. Uh, but they allow a guy, uh, your friend Eric, uh, to just completely tunnel this giant hole, much like, a, uh, what's it called? Much like... A, What's that movie, you know, with the guy in the Morgan Freeman and uh, Tim Robbins? Uh, oh, Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. Yeah, yeah. Except except uh, instead of like having a pinup poster on the wall, he just has like a mat on the ground and you tunnel out. So like it's really horrible, horrible prison system. Uh, so anyway, you break out and begin to travel the world. And that's when you start to collect companions and you do all these various quests and you that that are pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Every place you go is a different town and you get surprisingly easy access to kings and sultans and queens because uh, you're just some random person showing up and you're like, hey, go talk to the king about this. I'm like, oh, that's great access. I try to think, like, what would America be like if we had that kind of access? Anyway, so this is where the game really begins. You start collecting various companions and you have a lot of different companions. You have Eric, who I've already mentioned, who's a spiky haired thief. Uh, there's these twin sisters that you meet very early on, but one of whom had like her had her years like sucked out of her by some sort of monster that they encountered early on. And so one of the twins looks like a teenage girl, but another one looks like a child, like a five-year-old five, five year old or something like that. There's a very old and fat monk uh, with a Scottish accent, which is a wonderful, uh, there's a wonderful dichotomy there. Uh, there's Chun-Li from Street Fighter. Uh, she's in this. Uh, there's a very flamboyant circus performer named Silvando. And there's somebody else who I won't mention because that's actually kind of spoilerly and all the other ones really are. So I won't mention who that kind of final companion is. Uh, now, you travel around the world just like you would in any other JRPG. You, you don't immediately get access to every single location and every single parts of the various continents and islands. Uh, but over the course of the game, it's slowly you know, revealing more and more. And for the early, for the first act of the game, I mean, there's sort of like a huge, maybe two and a half act game. 
And so we're talking like the first 30 hours or so, give or take. It's all very linear, meaning like you're being sent on very specific quests from one one location to the other, one location to the other. And every time you go to this new new village, oh, hey, there's a crisis. Occasionally there are side quests. There's, there's a handful of those uh, scattered throughout the world that you can pick up at various times. But those are really just like, you know, like fetch quests. Just go get something and then bring it back. The locations you visit are all parodies of existing cultures and countries, and they're often very superficial representations. And so what I mean by that, like there's an Italy town, um, for instance, and it's named Gondolia. And the finding feature is that you can completely unnecessarily ride gondolas around the city. That's the whole thing. Like that's Gondolia. Um, there's others that, I mean, you, you can make an argument that these are pretty poor, <laughs> like iterations uh, but at the same time, like when I think about who this is for, this is probably not for a person who's almost 40 years old. It's probably for a younger crowd and making it more accessible and something like recognizable. Um, but there are other cities that I think are really funny uh, that are less focused on specific cultures or countries and instead focus on some sort of um, uh, some sort of idea. Um, so there's Octagonia, which is is less about a country and it's more about a concept. So Octagonia is a city that focuses on UFC slash MMA. And so it's just this constant like, there's an octagon at the very top of the city and everyone goes and they fights like MMA mixed martial arts there. It's pretty cool. Uh, there's Hoto uh, or Hato, uh, which is near a volcano. Uh, it's sort of goofily named and they speak in haikus and there's never a real good reason for why, but they do. And it gets very annoying, actually. Um, and as you're wandering around from city to city, your overarching quest begins to unfold. And the first act is directing you to go to Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil is a floating tree of the world. It's the world tree. Uh, it's it's got a lot of references in actual mythology, um, and it is where dead souls basically go, where people go when they die. Good people, anyway. Uh, and the luminary apparently is tied to the is tied to Yggdrasil in some way. And by going there, there's the hope that you're going to find out what your destiny is, why the luminary was reborn, what is this you know deep dark evil that's permeating this world? Because as far as everyone knows, like everything's fine. Like there's no like big bad, like you have no idea who the big bad is really for the first third. I mean, if you read a lot of the books that are laying around in the game, you know who it is. It's pretty obvious, but it's not directly stated. Now, as often happens in JRPGs, uh, midway through the game or like a third through the game, whatever you want to consider it, the world radically changes and your party gets separated. And so this is after you have gotten to know each other, you've bonded, you've played a little bit, uh, you've gotten into the 20s or 30s in terms of levels. Uh, and I'm not going to say ex exactly what happened because I don't want to spoil specifically, but something happens, you get split up, the world changes, uh, and the second act begins. And the second act is I am currently playing through it. Uh, I'm, I'm about 60 hours into this game. I haven't finished it, but I'm getting close, um, closer anyway. Uh, but I figure 60 hours is probably enough to do a little review. So the second act begins and you go through the motions of once again, collecting your party and seeing how the world has changed, what the different, what this crisis is, how this is represented. But in like in all these little towns that you pass through along the way, um, it gave me very big time Final Fantasy VI vibes, uh, which is a good thing because that's my favorite JRPG of all time. Uh, now, the the actual game I think is a little bit more difficult in the second half because the first half of the half of the game is, is the first act is very linear uh, and super easy. I did not find it even remotely challenging. I didn't really have to grind anything. Um, in terms of like getting levels, uh, everything was just fine. It was like the, the the fights weren't too hard. And I guess that makes sense. But I don't know if like 30 hours or 24 hours or, or however many hours the first act is supposed to take is really 
the necessary time of handholding, right? I get that the game needs to handhold you in the beginning, perhaps to kind of teach you how to play, but like it felt like it probably could have been a little bit more challenging. The second half, it starts, it's been starting to seem a little bit more challenging. There's also a little bit more freedom to explore different quests in different areas in a varied sequence. Uh, whereas the first half of the game, like you were definitely go go here and then go there. It's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You have to go in that order. That's basically how it works. Second half of the game, it feels like I can kind of do things in slightly different order. And that's cool. That's good. Um, fights are a little bit more challenging. The monsters are stronger now. Uh, and there's actually some challenging boss fights, which is good. Uh, I've actually seen a couple characters get reduced to zero HP for the first time in the game. So it's like, oh, hey, look at that. Um, now, mechanically, the game is much is incredibly traditional. It's turn-based party fighting. Uh, there's four people per party. You have somewhere in the neighborhood of like seven or eight. Uh, I think it's like seven or eight uh, total people in your party, but you can kind of switch them out during the game or during uh, during combat. You can like sub them out based on tactical things. Uh, there are these things called pep powers. Pep is this hidden gauge that eventually triggers it. It I think it builds up based upon how much damage you do and how much damage is done to you. Uh, and so once once your gauge fills up, and and we're not able to track that unfortunately certain characters and then certain combinations of characters are able to perform really strong feats and really strong powers so it's really very cool uh there's also really good ai in this game where like if you really don't want to control every single party member and what they're doing you can put them on some sort of tactical command you can be you know play defensively play offensively um, fight wisely so that they'll kind of use their resources in a very intelligent way i can see how this would be pretty useful in like a grinding situation, like later in the game, if you want to try to grind to like the max 99 level, you put your people on a specific uh, specific AI to just kind of go all out and just camp camp near some place where you can constantly rest and get your mana and your HP back. And that would be pretty useful and would go pretty fast. Uh, the story is overall fairly solid. Uh, it's certainly not game changing in any way. Like it is very generic. It's not particularly deep, deep or new. Um, you're the chosen one. Go save the world. That's like the whole premise uh, of it. And I would also say it's not a particularly dark game. It, it, everything is handled in a kind of a hand-waved way. There's very little death in the game. Um, and it, that's that's at least two-thirds into it. And by death, I mean meaningful death. Like, I, I still remember playing Final Fantasy VII, like, when I was in high school and seeing Eris die. I was like, what the hell just happened? Like, and I kept waiting for her to come back. Like, the whole, once I got into disc two and disc three, I'm like, she's coming back. Of course she's coming back. And she never did. Mind-blowing, right? So there are times in this game where, where it looks like entire towns have been destroyed and then only to reveal like like a minute later like oh just kidding we were hiding in a cave oh, oh okay okay i thought i mean like a big old like meteor hit you or something like that but you guys are all good i guess i guess you had umbrellas um but i guess that's fine like i, I think it's okay like if, again if it's used younger then that's that's fine maybe young teens or you know prepubescence or something like that could probably play this understand a fairly non-complex story um so i mean overall to start winding this down uh, I think the game is really, really good in the sense that it is absolutely a traditional JRPG. It is old school in the sense that you you play this this nameless hero, you have a party, and you're trying to save the world. That's really like the kind of the basic premise of everything. There really isn't strong iteration on any sort of feature or mechanic. Everything's very sim similar. I hadn't played a dragon. Dragon Quest game in, in years, and I hadn't played the original four in even longer, right? And yet the menus are still the same. Many of the monsters are still the same. They have a lot of kind of goofy names, almost Nickelodeon or Disney style naming in some in some cases. You fight slimes, for instance. Um, there's a lot of parodying going on uh, in, in, in the naming of various creatures. And it's very funny and very silly and 
it tries not to take itself too seriously, right? Which is really interesting when you contrast that with like one of the other main JRPG staples, and that is Final Fantasy. And then Final Fantasy often takes itself way too seriously, right? So I think that's kind of a refreshing approach to it. Um, so if you're somebody who likes really simple stories and you don't really have to get too involved in it, and you just like a really kind of the hero goes saves the world uh, montage, uh, if you like traditional gameplay, if you like an epic game length, because this is going, I'm probably going to be going another 15 to 20 hours, I think. I'm in the 60s, I think, in terms of the hours I've played so far. And so I've been playing it since around Christmas. I've been playing it for about a month and a half now um, when I can. There are some good side systems. There's a really nice crafting system that I really like. There are casinos. So there's those diversions that you can get into if you really, really want to. You can get rewards for items and stuff from that too. Um, I can definitely see that late game, there there might be some grinding in terms of getting the best gear as is customary. Uh, so I haven't really, I mean, I've been crafting my own gear along the way. Um, but I wish the game was a little bit more challenging. Like, I guess that's the biggest thing I have. Like, I don't mind the story being what it is. That's totally fine. Um, there are small stories in some of the towns that really hit you in the feels. Uh, there's this really nice mermaid story in Lana Luau, um, which is sort of like a joke on Honolulu, I think. Um, and it's kind of a sad story. Like it really is. It's, 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 ha- it's got a little bit of emotional complexity to it. Um, but overall, like the game itself doesn't have a ton of that. Um, but when it happens, it's like really surprising and refreshing to get those little tiny arcs. Um, so I definitely recommend it, especially if you're a fan of traditional JRPGs. But if you're looking for a game that's trying to iterate on the formula that has been so successful for so long, Dragon Quest Eleven is absolutely not it. It is not a game that's going to change things. It doesn't change the dynamic whatsoever. I don't think there's anything new that has been introduced in this game. Um, that, it, To me, if you played this game and you played JRPGs in the 90s, you would assume, like me, that nothing has changed in that, in that time period. And I think things have. I think there are different gameplay systems that have probably been evolved in some way. The grinding, the overarching stories are probably still kind of the same idea. But in this particular case, I do think that maybe, hopefully, in Dragon Quest Twelve, if they decide to do one, they try to maybe change a little bit, you know, kind of iterate on some things. Maybe make the menus a little bit more simplistic, or at least not have not not have menus that constantly have me having to confirm things that I really don't need to confirm. Like trying to save the game and then back out of the save. Like I'm constantly spamming like the accept button because just because of how old and slow some of the menus are. Like just not because the game runs poorly. It's just that's the design of the menus. Um, the game is gorgeous to look at, absolutely stunning. It's a wonderful, like cartoon, like uh, cartoon-like graphics. Uh, there's not a whole lot of cutscenes in the sense that you're, like, you're feeling like you've lost agency. So that's a really nice thing as well. So, Dragon Quest XI, definitely take a look out for it if you like these long JRPG epic games. Uh, it's really good, and honestly, it's sort of a throwback uh, to the early days of when I was young and playing these types of games. So I highly recommend it. All right, well, I also played a video game completely different than the type of video game you played. Uh, mine was a Battle Royale. Right. So the game that I played was called uh, Apex Legends. So Apex Legends is released by EA, and it was created by Respawn. Respawn also created Titanfall. Titanfall 2 was a really, really big game a couple of years ago, but for some reason it didn't really... It was like a very, very good game. For some reason it didn't really get to the height that it should have been it was a very very well crafted multiplayer game and maybe it has something to do with the fact that multiplayer games are kind of evolving from what they used to be and i have been really burnt out from a lot of battle royales because 
you know, Fortnite is filled with 12 year olds and uh, who are better than you, right? Yeah, that's, that's the worst part. Yeah. PUBG is, seems just slow and clunky. Uh, everything just seems very rinse and repeat. Um, did you uh, did you ever try Battle Right Royale? Uh, I didn't do Battle Right. I know you like that one yeah. a lot. I liked it because it was. MOBA I, I, yeah, it's more MOBA. Exactly. Like I tend to like the MOBA style play, like this, like the overhead strategy game, as opposed to like the first person shooter stuff. So it's a shame. I don't think it's doing well. That's a, a yeah. I think that one's dying, and so is uh, Realm Royale's dying too. There's a bunch of them that have come out as of recent that just aren't doing well. Well, this one came out this weekend, and they actually had a pretty or this week they had a pretty smart uh, strategy what they did. So there really wasn't any type of announcement at E3. There was nothing going on. They had had rumors in the in the past talking about how they're coming out with titanfall 3 and the titanfall 3 was going to have some type of uh battle royale aspect to it well in the making of titanfall 3 they kind of realized uh no one's going to play this game so let's just pivot and go straight into a battle royale and so essentially apex legends is titanfall 3 they just kind of retitled it redesigned it it's a free-to-play uh battle royale and has 60 people so why is this one different and why is it that it kind of has revived me from the whole battle royale field well, there's a couple reasons first thing it's teams of three and it's only 60 people per map the maps the same right now but they do plan on making it uh bigger through time one of the things gabe said to me he said a friend told him he goes a friend asked him like what's the difference between uh fortnite and apex legends and the guy said, well, when you get shot in Apex Legends, you don't turn into an eight foot or an eight story building. So it's like, it's very different where like, you don't, the whole building thing's gone. It's a first person shooter. The best way I kind of like describe it is like Overwatch mixed with Call of Duty mixed with Fortnite and Titanfall. And so you have groups of three. Each group has, there's a draft system. There's eight characters you can pick from. Each character has special passive, active, and ultimate abilities. And so... You can't pick three of the same kind. You can only pick one of each. And there's more like support classes, attack classes, tracking classes, and trap classes. And there's like defense classes. Um, the one I like to play a lot, his name is Gibraltar. He's a giant Samoan man. Uh, his ultimate is an airstrike, and he puts down like a Winston bubble for his active. And then his passive ability, whenever he shoots, he has a little hand shield that comes out. The one that Gabe likes to play a lot is Bloodhound. He's a tracker. And what he does is his passive is he can see people's footsteps. He can also activate his ability, which gives him super speed. And also he can track people down. He sees them in a distance like they're red. And then uh, he also does a ping. So like he can ping and make a little bubble around him. And in the bubble, if there's someone around it, like in a building, it does a quick little shadow ping of them. It doesn't do an active like uh, tracking. It just like where they were at the particular time when the ping hit them, it shows a little shadow of them. Um, but it, it, all these characters are very unique. There's uh, healer classes. There's different type of classes. And really what stands this out uh, from the other ones is if you die, you're not done because there are res stations throughout the entire map. So one of the things I hate about battle royales is we drop in, can't find a gun. I die within the first 10 seconds. And then more like more like I die. In the yeah, first it's frustrating. I will say, by the way, that Battle Right Royale had this feature as well. And when and when Gabe and I, because he was my partner when we were playing that, it 
it astounded us. We we're like, holy crap. Like it's I kind of so figured it out. It's so much better. It's so much better. I mean, like, and honestly, you have to fight over those and it's obviously a good camping spot and stuff, but at the very least there's an option for it. Right. And it gives your, it gives your team a goal. And so if Gabe died, I'm like, there ain't no way I'm getting through this round without him. Cause he carries me like crazy. So I'm going to try and go res him or something like that. And so he would definitely try to do it. And it was, and so I think it keeps the person who died still connected because they're still paying attention because they might have to come back in and play. So I, I'm so glad to see that that's catching on uh, in Apex Legends. Well, like with PUBG and stuff, you die in the first five minutes and I might as well just go get something to eat because especially if, I, if I'm playing with Ruben, right, right, Ruben takes forever right. to play. And so it's like with this one, if I die in an early skirmish, they grab my card and then there's these rest spots. Now the rest spots have positives and negatives. Positive is you get your friends back. Um, and to get their card, there's a limit to when you can grab their card. So it's all time. So if the guy goes down, there's a limit to when they die. Uh, they also have shields you can put up if you go down so they, people can't get super thirsty on you. If someone gets like really wants to take you down, it takes some effort. So there's risk in doing that. There's special takedowns. Like in Titanfall, if you if you do a special takedown, like you hold E on somebody, you'll do a, a fancy takedown. Like one of the Samoans takedowns Gibraltar, he does a butt bomb on someone and it kills them that way. But it leaves you wide open. You're stuck in that animation. So someone could come behind you and kill you. But, you know, it's just kind of like dabbing on them haters type of thing. You know? Hey, hey, Justin, what's a butt bomb? Uh, it's when they do uh, like a they jump on your head with their fat butt, basically. So that's a butt bomb. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So uh, when you res someone, you go to these little stations and you can see them throughout the entire map. And uh they have these green pillars that go up. But when you use it, people can see it happening and people can see the ship coming in to drop you off. So a lot of the times what we'll do is if we see someone getting dropped in, we're like, they're probably down one guy. Because when you get dropped in, you don't have anything. You get no weapons. You are just blank again. So people either have to drop weapons for you or you have to run and go find some stuff. So we'll, they're a handicapped team at that point. So we'll go down and hunt them down in that particular time. There's... uh crate drops but when the crate drops happen they're like these uh supply drops when they happen though there's a mark on the map one of the biggest revolutions in this game too is the communication there's a ping system that you no longer have to be like guys at 45 degrees or he's at straight north you can just press f and it shows you exactly where you see the person and it pings it not only for them on the map but also in in their vision so you can see exactly what's going on. You never have to speak to anyone in this game ever if you don't want to. You can just click the scroll. There's a scroll. The scroll button on your on your mouse is a way to ping every single item. You can talk any way you want with the scroll button on your mouse, the middle button. You can talk about that there's a certain level shield here, what you're missing, everything. There's no communication problems in this game at all. It is revolutionary in that case. You never have to speak to other people that you don't know. And most of the time we don't get randoms, but when you do get randoms in your group, say it's like just me and Gabe, we have a third person that's just a random person. There's no problem with communication at all. It's one of the most amazing, simplest things I can't believe they haven't come up with when it comes to interacting with people. Because generally, I don't like talking to people I don't know, especially if they're like 12 or something, you know. So that's that's one of the big things, too. There's high mobility in this game. Sliding is a big deal. It's very fast. It's very fun. The guns are all kind of unique. Um, the, the loot boxes, there's nothing to the loot boxes, but cosmetics. You, there's two champions that are not available two legends. It's a trap guy and a guy who puts out holograms of himself, but you could pay for them, 
but they're really not any better than anybody else. They have their own drawbacks. They've done a really good job of balancing all these characters. I worry about in the future, like most games where they have certain characters or champions, you know, like League of Legends, where like they'll start off with a guy and he seems balanced and then it's like, Bleh. but the argument to that is each uh, group can only have one of them. So at the most, you can only have 20 in an entire map. You know what I mean? So like, it's not like you're gonna get an entire game full of these guys because they can only at the most buy one of these guys. And there's certain people that you kind of have to kind of diversify your squad so that it makes it a better, uh, real well-rounded team. You kind of want a healer every time or a support person every time. Um, so I love this game. We played, I would have to say maybe 20 hours of this this week. Um, we've gotten, I think Gabe's gotten like 10 wins i've gotten like six wins um and it's fun a few other things are a little fun about it too when you win in the next game they'll put up a thing like your champions of the last round and like you'll be posted on the entire map all over the place and there's a bounty on your head so it kind of makes you feel kind of special like you're on these like poster boards throughout the entire map and it's it looks kind of like you know straight up like a a hunger games type of thing so it makes you like oh man look we're on these big posters and stuff we've had it a couple times it's like oh look at this we did it and but so it's fun but then you know there's a bounty is when people find you they want to they want to kill you you're they can't really tell you any differently from anybody else it's just if they come across you and fight you uh they get a, a bounty so little things about it makes it really fun i'm sure at some point it's going to annoy me and make me mad but right now it's super fun and fresh the resing thing is really what, what puts his head and shoulders above everything else along with the communication so uh it has something like four hundred and ten thousand people watching it on twitch lately um it's it's really super fun like your channel when you're streaming it? oh yeah absolutely everyone was on wow. it's is 420,000 like your highest amount of viewers no i think it's like middle range mostly i'm somewhere around 100 million or some of that anyways so uh that's apex legends by ea games again i'm cautious because it is ea games but so far free to play you don't have to buy anything. Super fun. So uh, check it out. All right. So, yeah, full on video game week, apparently. Uh, but we're going to head over to the Gentleman's Challenge now and we're going to talk about some other things that are in video games. But maybe they kind of are. And now it's time for the Gentleman's Challenge. So the Gentleman's Challenge is a segment we do here on the Lollygaggers podcast where Justin and I like to give each other homework assignments because we're teachers and homework's awesome. Uh, sometimes this homework assignment is meant to drive ourselves crazy, or at least the other crazy, and sometimes it's just meant to expose the other person to something cool that they might have been missing. Uh, and then to ensure that we did said homework, we come back on the next episode and we quiz each other about it. We should warn you right up front that everything we talk about here in the Gentleman's Challenge is definitely spoiler heavy. Uh, so if there's something about any of the content that we're covering that you would not like to know yet, you might want to come back after you've experienced those things for yourself. Uh, with that warning out of the way, I think I'm going to go ahead and start because I think my transition from the pre-drop to now makes the most sense because we were talking about video games and some of the things that I'm talking about are kind of video gamey uh, because Justin assigned me two specific episodes from the 1990s Nickelodeon hit, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And Just the whole uh, the thing of spoiler stuff is really adamant with this because I don't want people 
to get spoiled by these episodes already for the dark if they haven't seen it yet sure so it's really sure. important it comes right after your there work, hasn't so. been a ton of time for them to watch it no uh, no no no, that's no true and no one's ever heard of it it's a whole it's a hidden gem so uh go did ahead. you watch these when you were a kid i did and they the opening always used to scare me but like i was Jesus. little i was little little i was like seven or eight but when i yeah. started watching them again to kind of like quiz you and stuff it just hit the uh the nostalgia feels so hard. I'm like, oh yeah, it's so good. So I, I really enjoyed watching them today. So, so if you're unfamiliar, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark is originally a Canadian American. Uh, Wikipedia calls it horror fantasy themed anthology television series. You know, it's- I felt it was Canadian because there's a point in the second episode where the kid it's- goes sorry. It's like, <laughs> oh, this has got to be Canadian. I was like, yeah. it's perfect. So it's basically like Twilight Zone or Black Mirror, but for kids. Like if you ever watched Twilight Zone, you've ever watched the the, the newest iteration of this type of like kind of weird surrealist uh, or uh, semi horror, semi science fictiony type of show anthology series. It's just like that, except it's for kids, right? And so understand that going in, you're going to get a lot of kid themed stories, and you're going to get a lot of kid kid level acting. Now, it first aired from in the early 90s, from 1990 to 1996, and then there was a second run of it later uh, in the in the actual decade from 90, 1999 to 2000. Justin assigned me stuff from the first round, uh, so from, the, I think it was seasons three and four, or maybe seasons two and three, something like that, is the, the two episodes that he assigned me. It was, it's created by DJ McHale, who also has writing credits for both of the episodes that Justin assigned me. So, uh, in no particular order, uh, I'm going to go ahead and talk about the Tale of the Renegade Virus first, uh, just because that's the first one I watched. So Tale of the Renegade Virus is directed by Ron Oliver. And like I said, it's written by DJ McHale and also Gerard Lewis. It stars uh, Christopher Redman as Simon Lewis and Micah Gardner as his brother, Evan Lewis. Uh, and then there is a uh, a virus, an actual physical virus. It's a computer virus, but it's an actual physical virus that's played by Paul Cajolet. I'm not sure if it's a hard T or not. Uh, So the basic premise of this particular episode, and these episodes aren't very long, they're like 20 to 24 minutes or so. Uh, The the basic premise of this is that Simon is the focal character, and he's a a young teen, probably like 14, 15, something like that. Uh, And he is a decent brother, but at the same time, he kind of picks on his other brother a little bit more. Um, Evan is the computer whiz, so to speak, of the family, whereas Simon's more of kind of like the cool guy who's going to help out his his sister. Um, And he pisses off his brother because he takes his brother's bike uh, and rides it to school. And in the process of doing so gets Evan in trouble because Evan's late. Now I'm calling them brothers because according to IMDB, they have the same last name. And I feel like that's strange if you're both neighbors and you have the same last name, but it's possible they could have been neighbors. I wasn't entirely sure. Uh, So Evan shows up late, uh, gets in trouble by this by the teacher. Also, Simon seems to have stolen the girl that Evan likes. And so Evan starts to begin to get very angry with Simon and wants to have payback against him. Uh, and so when they're called into the office of the computer teacher, I'm not even sure what to call him, but he's this creepy guy with like a Hawaiian shirt who has all sorts of strange gadgets and gizmos in his office. You know, and, in the 90s when your computer right. teacher was uh, basically Bill Nye the science guy. My computer teacher, uh, we didn't actually have a computer teacher, but we did have a computer lab. And when we went into the computer lab, we played Oregon Trail. uh, And that's what we did. And we all died of dysentery. Uh, So that was my computer experiences when I was a kid. So anywho, 
so there is a virtual reality game that this particular guy uh, was actually developing to the point where he was getting a call from the president. It was the most strange and incongruous thing that actually happened, which is saying something considering what transpires in this episode. So Simon goes ahead and plays it. And it's a it's like a, it's like a virtual reality thing. So it really is something like Oculus Rift, right? It's it's something like that kind of system. And so he puts on a headset and he's like, where are the controllers? And like the, the creepy guy with the Hawaiian shirts, like the controllers, your mind, right? Uh, and so he goes ahead and he puts the helmet on and then he goes into what appears to be uh, the game, but it's not really the game. It just looks like it was a dream. So he wakes up again and he starts going through this his day once more, uh, kind of trying to throw a basket. Like he has this, this process where he wakes up in the morning, he turns off his alarm clock, and then he throws a little basketball into like one of those little plastic basketball hoops. Only this time he breaks the window doing so, which is kind of weird. He can't find his, his parents and his, and his siblings because like he can hear their voices. And then he starts to realize he's inside the computer system. He's inside the game. Um, he gets starts to get terrorized by that virus, uh, Paul Cajolet. Uh, and he, <laughs> the virus is a little person. So Paul Gagelet, very, uh, he's like, I don't know, three and a half feet tall or so. And he's got a very big brain that sticks out the top and he's covered in silver paint. Uh, and he constantly calls, uh, uh Simon Einstein. Uh, and he reads a book that's titled E equals MC squared. And he starts doing all sorts of wonderful physics calculations. Uh, but he's threatening Simon. He's like, once you get out of the game, I am going to be in your brain and you're going to take me to the real world. And so what proceeds is Simon trying to figure out a way to get out of the game. Uh, and there really isn't a whole lot of like structure to what happens afterwards. He just sort of runs around to different places. He starts growing like a port, like a computer port, uh, like almost like for a, for like an old school monitor, like in his palm that later as uh, Simon's trying to break out of the system. <laughs> the uh, the virus comes over and he and he reveals that his one of his hands is in a hand, but it's actually the male end of the port. And so he's going to plug in uh, to Simon's palm, which was kind of cool, actually. Uh, Simon also communicates with Evan on the outside, who reveals that he he was the one who did this. He's the one who set up the virus as payback for Simon. Uh, but Evan also helps him get out. So Simon types in the password, gets out. Everything looks fine. Everything's great. And then as this last little little moment we see a janitor pushing a trash can and up out of the trash can comes one of the hands of the virus suggesting that the virus actually did get out dun, dun, blew my mind blew my mind so the other one is called the tale of the pinball wizard uh, this one actually is directed by dj McHale, the original creator uh, who also has a writing credit, and it's also written by Luis Lamar. Uh, this one stars Joe Posca as Ross, uh, who's like a teenage boy, uh, who's trying to get a job at some sort of game and hobby store in the mall. And then there's also Polly Shannon, uh, who is Sophie, who is either is possibly like a girl he met in the mall and or, well, definitely or, uh, or definitely and, I should say, uh, like the the princess, uh, that, and I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. So, Joe Posca, uh, his character Ross, is trying to get a job. Uh, he's also running around trying to collect money uh, out of a payphone. Most people probably don't know what those are. And from fountains, he's trying to check coins and change so we can play like the pinball machine that's inside of this uh, this type of shop that's in the mall. And he wants the job because he needs a job. He wants money, but also because the last guy, Steve, who worked for uh, who worked at the shop, he he quit or got fired or something like that. 
Now, the shop itself is kind of strange because it doesn't look like an arcade. I very, I very much remember when I was younger hanging out at the mall and going to the arcade, and they did not look like this. I mean, we had tons of games. We had like Mortal Kombat. We had Street Fighter. We had all sorts of wonderful things. So this is like the worst arcade slash game shop I've ever seen. And since considering this was like 1993 or so when this was filmed, this was totally wrong. Anyway, so he tries to convince the shop owner who says, no, 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 no. Um, the shop owner just recently got a new pinball machine, and he specifically suggests that Ross don't touch that. Uh, eventually, Ross convinces him to let uh, to let him actually wait there while the shop owner goes and uh, gets lunch uh, at a late three o'clock in the afternoon. And so Ross, as as he is supposed to do, uh, goes and plays the game despite being directed not to. That's when he also meets Sophie, who comes in looking for a specific object. Uh, so the game itself it has something to do. We never actually really see the pinball like game. We don't see it from the overhead view, but at least kind of see it from the side view. And we see a little bit uh, of the of the backdrop. And it has to do with trying to crown a princess and you're avoiding like an evil king and witches and like these dudes that are dressed up in executioner outfits. Uh, one of one dude has like re like he's got like a leather cross vest and like a really short leather skirt uh, and he's super built. And I think he started uh, manscaping a little bit earlier. So he, he's a he's ahead of the curve. So all throughout this particular uh, this particular episode, he's dodging these different things because it turns out that much like. Uh, Simon from Tale of the Renegade Virus, he is actually inside the game. And so the game itself is the mall. And going from level to level, first level to second level to third level is quite literally going from first floor to second floor to third floor of this particular mall. Um, and so he's dealing with zombies. These zombies are dressed up like um, like dudes from uh, like the Matrix, uh, but they have like gray, uh, gray, gray makeup on so like they're like their skin's kind of covered in gray and they're afraid of water so he like splashes them with fountain water eventually uh Chekhov's gun comes back because there's a super soaker that's shown in the very beginning of the episode that comes back at the very end so Chekhov's gun always works uh, and so he goes and he gets that super soaker he loads that up and then he start, starts using that to, to kill people uh and so he goes through a couple different steps and stages and eventually he crowns Sophie uh, who is inside the game, the princess. And so it looks like he wins, only he doesn't win because the real villain was the shop owner the whole time who is now trapped. Dun, dun, yeah. <laughs> it was now trapped Ross inside of this pinball game. And at the very end, we see sort of an overhead view of Ross inside a pinball machine running around from the different different locations in the mall. And so that is the tale of the pinball wizard. So what do I think of these? They're good. They're good episodes. They're not for me, but they're fun. Like they're silly. And honestly, I don't think they, I, I've seen far worse early 90s sci-fi and horror that that doesn't stand up. I wouldn't say these things stand up incredibly well, <laughs> but at the same time, I don't think they, that their depiction of things are so crazy, wrong and awful, you know? So there are times when watching things like hackers or something like that, where it's just like, yeah, that's, that's not what, that's, that's not what a computer interface looks like, or that's not what hacking is. You know, there are those types of things from the nineties that happen, but this one, I would not fault it for its inaccuracies because I also don't think it gets into the science and gets into the details too heavily to us really see it. It's more about like the fantasy of these kids running through uh, these various horror scenarios and calling it horror is interesting too. We just talked about this in a class I teach uh, at, at campus, like what actually is horror. And we trying to define like, what are the parameters? What makes something horror? Like, is it scary? Not to me, 
but maybe to like a nine-year-old Justin, it's scary, right? For sure. And I could see that. Just especially especially that virus guy who looked really creepy and his brain was kicking, you know, busting up out of his skull. The look of him uh, definitely stuck with me over time. So sure, sure, absolutely. And when he pulled off the glove and like the male cord (laughs) with the male end of the plug was sticking out instead of his hand, I was like. That's really creepy, a little phallic, but also really creepy, you know? Uh, so I could see how as a young kid, that would be that, that would be weird and, and scary. So if you're 10 or 11 or 12, for sure. If you're, you know, in your 30s, like, you know, whatever. But I do think they actually hold up pretty well. Now, you do have to get through a lot of the 1990s clothing, which is, in, or especially early 1990s clothing, which is incredibly colorful, which isn't a bad thing, right? Um, so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of acid wash jeans. Uh, there's a lot of cutoff jean shorts. There's those types of things. A lot of baggy clothing. Like I was having flashbacks to when I was in middle school and stuff. Cause that's around this time. And I was like, yeah, I wore something like that. Yeah. I wore something like that. So, uh, but overall I, I actually thought it was pretty good. They're fast episodes. They do not outstay their welcome. They're very quick. Um, they have the same sort of structure as something like a tales from the crypt or at the, or, or a twilight zone. We're at the very beginning there's like that third party. In this case, it's like the mystery crew or the mystery club or something like that. Or no, the Midnight Society. That's what they're called. The Midnight so, Society. It's, Come it's on, a, man. man I, I never, I never watched this growing up. This was the, I was older. You know, this, this wasn't me. I never really watched Nickelodeon other than like Ren and Stimpy. Like this. Where are these the kids get that gunpowder from? This seems really dangerous. <laughs> it does seem dangerous, but they all huddle around uh, a campfire and tell scary stories. And by they, I mean, only one guy seems to tell the, the scary story. And he seems like the older nerd guy. Uh, but yeah, uh, pretty good, man. I, I got no complaints. Uh, I, I mean, if you're, a, if you have kids and you're listening to this and you have kids and you want to like get them into kind of some scary stuff and want to try to start layering that. So they're not, uh, you know, big dumb babies like Justin is at an adult age, maybe starting them with some of this kind of stuff to get them, to, to build up the calluses of what might make something scary. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So you ready for your quiz questions? Let's do it, sir. Well, one of the questions you already got right off the bat, um, it was uh, who got fired before Ross showed up and you had that one in okay. kind of description. So who was Next. it? Again? Do you remember who it was? Uh, it was Steve. Yeah, it was Steve. So that yeah, because screw Steve, I hate that name. They said his name like twelve times. It was really weird how they kept. I kept waiting for him to show up. You know, like he was also in the game or something, and he would come across. Like that's what I assumed was going to happen, but it never did. Or Steve, they keep talking garbage about him. Anyways, uh, next question. I'm gonna stick with Pinball Wizard. What two things happens when he opens up the wrong lockers? So what two? He opened up two wrong lockers, and when he did, what happened? Okay, so the first thing is he gets he gets hit with like a greenish sludge and it just gets all over his face and it's very Nickelodeon, right? Very, very Nickelodeon. And the second one was like a bunch of like dust or pepper or something like that get got got shot out into his face. You are, are the two things. Correct, sir. I was just waiting for uh, yep. Mark Summers to come out and say something about Double Dare, uh, but it didn't happen. I wanted I wanted a hand to reach out, grab his face, and pull it inside. That would have been really scary. That would have been really good. Uh, last question about Pinball Wizard: How do you win the game? Other than like getting the princess to the crown stuff, but like the the main antagonist says, the only way to win the game is to do what? All right, I don't. Oh man, I don't really remember what he said. I do remember a, a couple things. So there was whoever's got the game, make sure the game doesn't get you. 
And then when the game is real, you can make, I guess you can make up your own rules. I wrote this down in my notes, but I don't really think it answers. Yeah, what that was asking. pretty interesting. I like how there was a call back there. Well, mm-hmm. maybe it's a bad question. If it is, well, we can talk about it. But like, he's obviously he had to get the crown on the princess. But right. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment where at the climactic part of the episode that the uh, super bad guy with a super cool eye patch comes out and says, mm-hmm. the only way you can beat the game is if you defeat all the bad guys. Oh, okay. Okay. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That sounds familiar. So there, there, there was that. So uh, we'll head over to the renegade virus now. Okay. Why did Simon steal uh, his brother's bike? Why did he steal his bike? Well, I mean, he stole it because he wanted to get to, to class because he his bike had a flat tire, but he also was okay with doing so because his, his brother put an egg in his shoe. So he stole very, it. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Put an egg in his shoe, which I didn't know that's a normal prank. Did you ever have someone put an egg in your shoe? No, no, I didn't. I'm going to have to try that out of my brothers. Anyways, (laughs) uh, next question. What does the speed of light divided by the speed of sound equal? Okay, so the speed of light divided by the speed of sound equals five minutes left. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, I, I heard a math problem. I'm like, Justin's probably going to quiz me on that. He's it was a good, it was a good line. Yeah. It's a good line. Uh, it's a good line. Next, uh, final question is for all the marbles. Okay, you, you get five out of six of this. Um, you know, the quarters turn to marbles in the pinball wizard. That's true. That's true. That's that's extra uh, credit right there. On a scale factor of one to ten, how is hacking and computers represented in this in this TV show? One being uh, computers and technology. One being ex machina, right? And 10 being hackers. So how is computers and technology represented in this TV show? So one being good and 10 being bad, right? Is that, is that how I'm What? No, 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 no. You're, <laughs> you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. I said 10's hackers, Jeff. Okay, which right? is bad, right? Okay. No, 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 I no, no. I feel no. like you're setting me up to fail. I feel it's like perfection. I feel like you're complicating the question and you're giving me a whole bunch of crap. Hackers uh, had Matthew Lillard. Jeffrey, I, a lot of things that you know. Matthew Lillard, a uh, big time D and D player. Also, he's in Relics and the Reliquaries on, uh, on Project Alpha, uh, which is a new RPG uh, ga- uh, uh, actual play that's being uh, GM'd by Deborah Ann Wall from uh, from Daredevil. Yep, yep. Is yep. he playing hey. as Shaggy? Uh, no, but I mean, D- he, Matthew Lillard, he's actually uh, fairly big on the D and D scene, like the whole streaming scene and stuff like that. He has his own little company. I can't remember the name of it. It's got a quirky name where he sells like these. Uh, these different like supplements for for dnd these cool little like kind of artist artist stuff so uh i think matthew lillard is a wonderful man anyway you're, you're skirting the question Jeff. i don't understand okay so are you trying to say on a scale of good to bad okay because you're being sarcastic so I, I'm, I'm really trying to interpret this because ultimately i actually feel that the hacking of this they didn't ever really get into the specifics of how that works. There were like a couple images that showed up, like the skull, which turned into a smiley face. And then there was like the warning screen and stuff, which is on par with hackers, but not as bad as hackers because hackers was doing all sorts of weird stuff with like, like emojis. Like they hacked with emojis and like little animated gifts. That's what people do. So I don't think it's quite that bad, but I would put it around a seven. So if, like it's it's not I don't think it's as as so near, close. near perfect is what you're saying near perfect it's nearing hackers but I don't think it's quite at that level. All right, I'll, I'll accept it. I'll take it. I was going to say a thirteen, but I'll still take seven because it's it's up for interpretation <laughs> what we want to do. So that is my quiz. 
uh, for your Are You Afraid of the Dark? I did pretty good, I think. I only got one wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So my challenge is a wonderful, I'm assuming, independent film on Netflix called Left Behind starring Nicolas Cage. And it actually stars a lot of people. Um, the budget for this film is surprising. It's um, confusing, to say the least, uh, after I realized what was really happening. $16 million budget, by the way, is the estimated budget. That's pretty big. That's pretty big. I think I think $15 is for Nick. Right? It's got to be. So it has Nicolas Cage, Chad Michael Murray, who my wife loves, thanks to her teenage years. Uh, so time out really quick on Chad Michael Murray, because uh, I was going to make this a quiz question, but I didn't really feel I have substance enough. What the hell's with Chad Michael Murray's beard in this movie? Right? It's, it's all pretty weird. solid. It's weird on the left side, like his right side, our left side. It's like there's like a like a tuck up under his jaw, like where it's just there's like a patch that's just missing. It was maybe freaking that, me out the whole movie. Where all the handsomes located at? I don't know. Is that what it is? Guy's dreamy. Is. Holy moly! He is. Yeah. Anyways, yep. it's also got uh, Cassie Thompson plays Chloe. Um, you have Leah Thompson, who I guess is Cass- is Cassie Thompson's mom, which is really weird. Um, is that true? It must be. I didn't even look that up. Uh, Leah Thompson I'll plays his mother. Um, I don't know because Cassie Thompson is an Australian-born American actress. Uh, so I don't think Leah Thompson's nah, she, this is her. So, Anyways, um, nope, it's pretty got, sure they're not related. Yes, yep. Quinn Aaron. Also, who was the also they spell their names differently. Leah Thompson has a P in the name. No, no and Cassie doesn't. It must related. be her stage name. Yeah, yeah. Just can you let me talk? Anyways, um, it's got <laughs> Quentin Aaron, who's the guy from The Blind Side. He played Michael Orr, but he's in the movie for like three minutes. Um, maybe, maybe less than that. He has like two lines. It's so strange. Uh, the people there in this movie um it has a guy named gary Grubbs who's been in a thousand like b-roll acting positions in different movies uh if you saw him you know what i'm talking about and it's got a really prominent uh little person actor by the name of martin kleba who has been in a thousand things and if you saw him you know who i'm talking about um he's a very prominent little person actor. i will always remember him as uh he was in scrubs he was randall from scrubs uh because yeah, that yeah, is yeah. where i loved him the most but he's been a lot of things like most recently i saw him in midnight texas like he was on there but you would totally recognize him um he was in uh what's it called that one movie uh with like the the party and stuff like that right uh project x he was in project x uh i think Hmm, what else was he in? I know he does like stunts too, right? Doesn't he do stunts? He's done a lot of stuff. So it's like they have these like a bunch of A and B level actors, which is just interesting. Anyways. Yeah, but but he's Randall from Scrubs. Like for you will always yeah, yeah. be Randall from Scrubs. This movie was made in 2014. You signed to me, so I'm like, sweet, Nicolas Cage film. It's gonna be right. Awful, right? That's what I thought too. I'm like Nicolas Cage. End of world. Little did what I know. Go wrong, right? That Jeffrey pulled a Justin uh, for the first time in I podcast a history. A uh, complete Justin. That's about ten minutes into this film. The lighting's fantastic, almost too good, and really bright. And they mention Jesus Christ about seven times. And right. there's a moment early on in the movie where Chad Michael Murray is confronted by a woman. Who says that in an airport? Yeah, in an airport, and th- it was at that moment where we're like, oh, that's what this mm-hmm. is, because uh, he's a he's like a journalist, he, and he goes to disasters and he like reports on yeah, he reports on stuff, disasters. So, yeah. so there's all sorts of these disasters, like earthquakes and things that are going on. And then a woman comes up to him and says, "Don't you think it's amazing that God's uh, doing this stuff to kind of like uh, represent the end times and stuff going on?" And immediately I'm like, "Okay, this is Christian propaganda." 
And I realized right away <laughs> that I was in for a treat because the minute yeah. that scene happened, I pressed up on my controller and it said it was a two hour film. So I had to watch the rest of this. <laughs> so essentially what the movie is, is the rapture happens. And before the rapture happens, you kind of get to know different characters. Chad Michael Murray. Okay, a- okay, okay, wait. In my defense, I knew it was about the rapture. Okay, it's in the description. Sure. But my favorite television show of all time. That's is the exactly what I was thinking about. I'm and like, so I'm this like is the- that's okay. I'm fine with that. You know, I have no problem with that. But the it's the Christian like, leftovers, oh. is what it is. It's Christian oh leftovers. Oh my God. It's like, which is, you know, that's that's fine. Fine. Really, what but we're not after my cup of tea. <laughs> not necessarily what our focus is. I was looking more for horrible acting by Nicolas Cage. Instead, what I got was a message about Jesus Christ. And a fairly decent uh, performance by Nick, I think. Yeah, it was good. Uh, Like, he did a decent job. None of the acting was bad in this film. It's just, for me, the plot kind of missed the the mark. Uh, Jordan Sparks, awful. She was terrible. Yes. That was the mother. Very bad. Also, the dude who kept trying to suggest aliens. uh, Yeah, that too. We'll get to it. We're going to go. Okay, 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 we're going to hit it. Go ahead anyways so what happens in the movie is the daughter of raymond Steele, who is nicholas cage one of the best names i've heard in a movie in a long time right she comes home surprising justin, justin i'm sorry you said that wrong it's captain raymond Steele. she comes home early to visit her father on his birthday and he takes a flight out to london and she's coming back from her college um which some type of bears i think it was it is the FCA. generic representation of ucla it's uca yeah. UCA. <laughs> it's like a bear logo but instead of blue and gold it's purple and silver anyways mm-hmm. uh she sees him in the airport and she noticed that he's kind of flirting with his flight attendant and he doesn't have his ring on so obviously he must be having sex with her that must be that's the immediate reaction i would have with my father right away anyways she kind of confronts him about it. He says, "We, you and your mother and I have been kind of being coming estranged from one another. I'm sorry. And she kind of like figures out that he's uh, doing some infidelities. He goes onto the plane. She heads home, sees her mother. She doesn't agree with her mother because her mother's very religious. She her, she herself doesn't, and her mother's played by Leah Thompson. She herself isn't very religious because she can't understand the atrocities of the world and how God can make that happen. Um Somewhere along the way, she takes her little brother to the mall where there's some really sweet dance moves going on in the middle. They're having some type of like dance battle in the middle of the mall. And her little brother uh, hugs her and says like, she says something about like, he's the best, her her father said that he's the best best baseball player he's ever known. And she agrees with it. And she gives him a hug. And right when she gives him a hug, a flash of light happens and the rapture occurs. And pretty much everyone who's assumed innocent uh, becomes, just vanishes and their clothes are left behind. So her mother's missing, every child's missing. So here's the here's a problem I have with that particular thing. There's a thing called original sin. Um, and if the rapture happened, none of those babies would have made it out personally because uh, unless they were immediately baptized after birth, they didn't make the cut. So that's one problem I have with this movie. Um, it tend to like pick and choose how they want to like represent things. I understand it's the innocence of children shouldn't be punished. But there's other things in the Bible. Anyways, I'm trying not to get preachy about this, but I was annoyed for about two hours straight. So this is what's going on. Anyways, um, she finds out her father's flying the plane. Half the people on the plane also disappear because of the rapture. The plane, the, the co-pilot disappears. For some reason, 
they don't have the autopilot on and this the planes are just going nuts um, mm. which i didn't understand that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um certain people in the ship kind of disappear they're trying to figure out what's going on they're trying to land anywhere they can but apparently all the roads are closed even though when his daughter is traveling throughout new york or where yeah they're in new york uh there seemed to be no traffic in the streets at all um because like there's a moment where she's trying to she thinks she's going to kill herself because she can't understand what's going on so she goes to the top of a bridge when she goes to the top of a bridge chad michael murray calls her and he goes we're trying to land we're running out of fuel we need you to find this place to land so she finds a bridge they said there's no streets open none of the uh airports are open because all there's no traffic controllers it's, it's mass chaos but as she's traveling around um there's no traffic in the streets so why can't they just land on a highway because highways were designed for uh they have these mile-long stretches they're designed for emergency landings of planes that's what they've been that's one of the main reasons for a highway that's why they have long stretches of land like that so why can't they just land on a highway anyways i digress this movie's dumb uh you're dumb she finds a way to clear out an entire road full of construction equipment with just one truck uh, and then light stuff on fire to help them land. And uh, when it's over, they all land, everyone survives. Uh, the rapture has begun, and now the end of days is coming. Um, it's a terrible movie, only out of, like, plot devices. The uh, acting's fine, except for Jordan Sparks. She's terrible. Um, her her voice acting is terrible. And what? on top of that... She had a gun on... How did she get the gun on the plane? That doesn't make no sense. Uh, she had a gun. Um, on top of that, too, like... I think the only reason she had an acting part in this because they wanted someone to sing part of the soundtrack and she was the initial song during the credits. So I think they just kind of oh, let you star in the movie if you want to promote your song. So she's in it and she's terrible. Um, other than that, everyone else is fine. Chad Michael Murray is Chad Michael Murray. He's super dreamy and handsome, um, but he he acts perfectly fine. Nicolas Cage was a very comparable uh, uh, Nicolas Cage in this one. It was, he was no... Uh, uh vampires kiss nicholas cage it was just normal nicholas cage um so he was fine the main actress was good um everyone was fine uh the only thing i understand is like why is that little person so angry all the time and there's like a few things in the movie that kind of bug me first off are they suggesting anyone of non-christian faith didn't meet the rapture is that why the muslim guy uh didn't make the cut that, that's my thought in that. i think that's exactly what they're suggesting <laughs> that's, that's a little rough so that's a little rough to me. Um, are, those, are they also saying that any person that is a man of science and believes in aliens will not go to heaven? Is that a, another thing yeah, too? I believe that's exactly what it's saying. Okay. Yeah. So I was reading this stuff correctly, right? Is that what's going on? Uh, mm-hmm. What else is there? Anybody who uh, doesn't outwardly state their love for Jesus Christ doesn't make it through the rapture. Is that like the, on the inside of a watch? That's not yes. out, right? That's not outward. So, so there has to be clear that. ideas yeah. that they have to be of Christian faith in order to. That's the problem I have with this film. Uh, that type of thought process of Christianity to me is annoying. Um, I uh, respect those of religion. My mother, when my father passed away, my mother took religion up as a way to help cope with the, with the passing of my father. And it helped her through a very dark time in her life. And I'm eternally grateful for religion and organized uh, worship and how it helped my mother through that process however it's garbage like this that pisses me off that they kind of basically say like hey if you're not in this cookie cutter area 
you're going to hell or you're going to be experiencing the worst times in ever because you don't or have hell's John... coming to you hell, yeah. hell's coming to you you don't have john 316 on your watch so you out of here so that that's the type of stuff that annoys me in this movie I, it's the first time halfway through this, I'm like, Jeff really pulled a Justin on this. He didn't do any research on it. Well, I did. Now I know how I read, I read what it was about on Netflix. Netflix had something like a 90 plus percent match for me. And so I'm like, oh, it's about it's Nick Cage and it's the end of the world. So like that makes sense, consistent with what I've watched before. So I didn't feel the need. And I'm like, I didn't know Nick Cage was like, you know, a crazy I don't know. I, he had I to never pay knew. for a castle, so this is castle money, I guess, That's which is I'm totally guessing. fine. But like, yeah, I didn't know. Okay, so I feel like I did way more research into this than you did into, you know, some of the Roger Corbin stuff. Because for those, no, 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 no. You, you just I look at a lie. picture. You just look at a picture, and you're like, oh, picture, movie poster. Let me do that. Me, I read the description at least. Movie poster. Sorcerer. You don't know That's Roger all I Corbin need. though, man. Like you gotta know that name. Uh, whatever. Do you ready for a damn quiz? I'm super excited for it because I love this film. It's great. Two hours. Okay. First question. What did the music in this movie make you feel like you were actually? Oh, my God. (laughs) What did the music in this movie make you feel like you were actually watching or doing, you know, something other than watching a propaganda movie about the end of the world with Nicolas Cage? Like, because it's clearly not music that matches what's going on in this movie at all. That's one of the notes I had. The score in this movie does not match the tone of the movie at all. It's like (laughs) it's like a um, a romantic comedy, uh, generic uh, royalty free score. It's Mm, so mm -hmm. bad. However, the tone of this movie is so heavy and so rough. But it's like, I'm like, oh my God, what the hell's going on? So it made me feel like I was watching a romantic comedy. But what I really was watching was people telling me that if I don't believe in Jesus Christ or if I'm Muslim, rapture's coming for me. You're very close on that answer. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, There are two correct answers for this. One of them is shopping in a Hallmark store. Okay, all right. The other one is watching a Hallmark, Hallmark Channel romantic movie. So I I'm going to go ahead. I know. Exactly. I'm giving you half time. credit. I'm giving you half credit because okay, okay. you got the second half, but you missed the first half of the hall. It's basically Hallmark is what I'm going. With. All right. Okay. Yeah. 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 I got you. Okay. I got you. So half credit. Half credit. Totally. I'm very impressed, actually. That you got that. So question oh, number two. So much. Oh, I know. I know. Like Melissa watched this with me. <laughs> she just couldn't get over the music. All right. Second question. Let's say hypothetically speaking, I don't know where the hell I'm getting this idea from, right? You're hugging someone. Let's call it a child. Mm-hmm. And you're in the middle of the mall. And in a flash, that person completely disappears, leaving only their clothes behind. That's it. Like you're literally hugging their clothes now. And a bunch of other people around you are having the exact same problem. And it all happened instantaneously. Now, my question, and I'm not yet done with the, the whole thing yet, so to pause, pause the answer. My question is about how you would react. And specifically, would you assume that they would somehow be miles and miles away inside a random ambulance on a street somewhere that has nothing to do with the mall that you're in. (laughs) Would you assume that they would be even more miles and miles away in a hospital that probably isn't even districted to this particular mall? Uh, Please explain your answer. Um, I think uh, I would go with what the scientists said, that they all pass through a wormhole. Or I would much rather believe that they're invisible, much like the Muslim guy said. But... If I had to choose between hospital nearby or hospital miles and miles and miles away, obviously that kid ran so fast. 
he ran through his clothes to another county. So I'm going to say miles and miles away to a non-distributed hospital. That's what I'm going to guess. That's, that's I'm sorry, Justin. That is incorrect. The correct uh, answer is a callback to our previous our previous uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark uh, quiz. And he would be in the GameStop or in a game store. Like, that's the first place you should check for Look your, like, nine-year-old brother. Look never goes machine. and checks. Never goes and checks. Never goes and checks there. It's amazing. It's a mall. Not once like she look at a pinball machine. Not once. So, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to go ahead and mark you down. She's really stupid for that, if you ask me. I know. Totally. Totally. That's the first place I would go. First place. He's in a pinball machine. Where is it? Yeah. Question number three. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, once again, I have no idea where I'm pulling these ideas from. Let's say that, hypothetically, you're an attractive young flight attendant gender doesn't matter you're single too okay now my question then is is very simple nicholas cage yay or nay absolutely yay um he started in snake eyes so i don't know what else other credentials he would need Uh, and he also was in face off where he played not only as himself but as john travolta i mean oh my god you know what i mean so i would say Nicholas Cage, especially over Chad Michael Murray, because he, like you said, missing a patch in his beard. So absolutely, yay. Okay, the, the, yeah, I mean, like. Plus, at any answer, moment, he could be looking for the Declaration of Independence. So that's really <laughs> The exciting. answer is yay, but like your explanation is really, you, you mentioned it earlier, like he, he bought an island. I mean, that's the answer. It's like, yay, he bought an he island. Has, he has a castle. He has like a he's, got, he's got a castle, and an, I mean, like. Uh, I can't. I don't even know what to do. I, like, I say, we'll, give it to me. We'll, I say, give it. I'm, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to think about it. We'll see we'll how you back. do. We'll, we'll come back. back. We'll come back. Question number four. I would like you to please list all the vehicles that Chloe was nearly hit by early in the movie. You know, preferably in the order in which they happen. You know, one of the notes I wrote down was, "Why are their cars still crashing 30 minutes after the event?" Like, right? I, I didn't, right? If the person's not in the driver's seat. First off, their foot would not be on the accelerator. They wouldn't be anything on the accelerator, and it would be gradually slowing down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there was a car that went through the, it was like a blue car that went through the store, almost hit her. She was almost mm-hmm. hit by a plane, which was probably the best it's special true. effects in the whole movie. And then a bus that was empty because all the driver and all the kids inside had disappeared. You saw like their clothes floating around inside. So that's what happened. Okay. Uh, Justin, that's incorrect. You missed the fact, the very first thing she was nearly hit by. A drone. She was nearly hit by. That wasn't a drone. during the event. That was before. I didn't event. say during the event. I said early in the movie. Early in the movie. Oh come on, come on! Uh, I'll give you partial. I'll give you partial. I'll give you partial. Okay. Uh, which team did Jordan Sparks's kid say his father played played for? The Jets. That is correct. So I don't know why anyone would ever bet on him to do well because clearly you would be betting against him. Yeah, right? and been... Martin, Martin Klebe's character was actually planning to bet on the Jets because, like, his dad was coming back from an injury. Like, it was it made no sense. Okay, that was correct. All right. So, two part question on airplane logistics. So, okay. we, we sort of already addressed. You already started. You introduced one of these ideas, um, but let's 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 dive into a little little further. So, this is on on airplane logistics. So, two part question, and you need to get both parts correct in order to get full credit. When the co-pilot disappeared while Nikki was uh, was talking with Hattie, 
uh, I call him Nikki. Uh, why did the plane begin to veer off course? Because after all, as we all know, and as was later demonstrated in the film, these modern planes basically fly themselves. There's an autopilot and there's no need for an actual pilot to be sitting there holding the stick and controlling the plane. That would actually make it far less smooth of a ride. So why exactly? Can you give me some sort of explanation? Because the plane was looking for the Declaration of Independence. That's why. Mm, that's... That's, that's that's not right. That's, that's not. The it's right. on the dollar bill. That's nope. Illuminati. That's because his what, face nope. is off. <laughs> it's because losers try the best. Winners go home and f the prom queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Am yeah, I I'm on track at all? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna skip the part two. Part two. I'm gonna set this up so that we can best understand it from a way that we can personalize this question. Let's say you're driving on the highway at around, say, 65 miles an hour. Yeah. Okay. Are you always able to tell who slash what is driving a car that's also going about 65 miles per hour that's coming in the opposite direction of you? Or another way to think about this, would you think that Nicky Boy would have been able to see that the other plane didn't actually have a pilot, which is what they suggested and he later said? He was once Superman, right? Even though it didn't make it to the big screen. I truly believe that not only was he selected for it because of his devilish good looks, but because he himself might also be Kryptonian in some type of way. So I think that he has these superpowers and these super abilities to see a man in another plane flying at him at multiple hundred miles an hour while he's also flying at the other plane at multiple, multiple hundred miles an hour. So, yes, I do believe it is possible because Nicolas Cage can do many, many things, much like Bullrock. The correct answer is no. Okay. Uh... <laughs> And you referenced Snake Eyes. One of the premises of Snake Eyes was the fact that eyewitnessing was very difficult because of bad eyesight. <sighs> Final question. I'm so disappointed in you right now. Declaration of Independence. Final question. Is this the best bad Nicolas Cage movie? No. No, it is not. Cause... What is the best bad Nicolas Cage movie? And there is um... a correct answer to this. It's Face Off, I think. Face Off's terrible, but it's a great. No, I said, I said the best bad movie, not the yeah. best good movie. Face Off's bad, but I no, I no, really no, love no, 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 no. Or Con Air, Con Air is a bad one too. What? I like it. What? Put what? I'm sorry. I know it stars what? Ving Ram, Steve Buscemi, and John Malkovich, but it's really not a great movie. But he's what? It's a great, terrible movie. So. I'll have to go with that. I'm sorry if I have insulted your niceties and your your sensibilities, but uh, I'll say face off or or Connor. Put the bunny back in the box. How could you possibly think that was a bad thing? <laughs> I'm sorry, Justin. The correct answer was Wicker Man. Oh, I totally forgot about Wicker. Man. You totally forgot about Wicker Man. How could you forget about Wicker the bees! Man? The bees, the bees, the bees. All right, let's go back through your answers here. First question, you got half. Second question, you got nothing. Third question, you got nothing. Uh, fourth question, points. You're gonna get. You're gonna get. You're gonna. I'll give you half credit for that one because uh, you, you didn't get the drone, but you got the others. Uh, so that's. I'll give you point seven five. Yeah. So this addition, right, right, right. we got 0.5 plus seven. Is 1. 1. 5. You got the jets. Okay, so that's that's good. Two point two five. Two five. Uh, you got the next two questions wrong. So you got two point two five out of seven. That's pretty um, good. That's, that's pretty actually good. pretty good. That's pretty that's good. Pretty good. 
you know, not everyone has the ability to score so high, but I've been mm-hmm. playing a lot of Apex Legends and been really honing in on my skills. So. I know, I know. Really good at getting carried by Gabe. Yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, I watched some of that stream. So, Justin, are you ready for new challenges? Absolutely. I'm sorry I said that. Why don't you go ahead and say first? Uh, <laughs> what you got 4B. All right, so I saw this movie on Netflix not too long ago, and the best way I can describe it is Poor Man's John Wick, uh, or I can say like less budget John Wick, and it is Polar starring Michael Matz. So uh, I saw it, and it looks mm-hmm. like it's not terribly well made, but mm-hmm. it's exciting, and he's got an eye patch in it, so uh, Polar starring Michael Matz. I like that actor a lot. Uh, I remember him from like for a while back. He was like in King Arthur uh, with uh, with that Clive Owen movie. But he's been uh, so many the good only things way since. I yeah. equate any actors for from is the Marvel movies they've been in, and he was in Doctor Strange. So yes, he was. Yes, he he had that weird stuff around his eyes, which is great because that was that was like the line in the movie. He's just like, "How do you know you're on the good side? You got that weird stuff. Look look what it makes you look like. That can't be good. I like that. That was good. It was very logical. All right, yeah, 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 yeah. Polar, polar, no problem. It's based off a comic, right? Yeah, it's a little graphic novel. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Justin, I got a challenge for you, and this one is courtesy of your brother, Jeremy. Oh, my God. Who has asked me uh, to ensure that you watch a little movie from, I think it's 1990. It's a parody. It's a comedy. stars John Goodman, Jeff Daniels. He's my own own blood. You know, he's he's my brother, and he... Mm -hmm. he, Mm -hmm. he, he at some times in his life he's helped raise me you know and he pulls this garbage he pulls this garbage on me i would like you to watch arachnophobia oh my phobia god this movie when i watched it when i was younger because i watched it when i was like this movie gave me a really hard time with my life i not only okay so i watched it when i was 10 and it's about spiders obviously but my best friend uh, still my best friend, but my best friend growing up, I've known him since I was in like second grade or whatever. My friend, my friend Philip, he used to have like, he was one of those weird kids who had all sorts of pets, but like lizards and stuff like that. He had a pet tarantula. And so, yeah, this was freaky. <laughs> those two things combined. He had this pet tarantula and we were watching Arachnophobia. But anyway, I would like you to watch it. Uh, what did he tell you about this movie? And that I don't like it. He said that he said that he would like you to watch Arachnophobia and E.T. Those are the two movies. Those so, are Arachnophobia. Uh, Arachnophobia is available for free because uh, you have Amazon Prime. Oh, so sweet. Amazon Prime video. So you don't have to pay money like I had to pay money for Are You Afraid of the Dark? It's but, a good movie. I know. I saw the last time I saw it was a long time ago. It's a good sure. movie, but it's. You're going to watch it again. Rough. And I would like you to watch it. Make sure it's in the dark. Uh, Come on. Where you haven't taken a shower in like a day or two, so you're kind of itchy and you're wondering whether or not those are spiders. <laughs> what is that? What is that? All right. Okay. Sounds good. Arachnophobia. I can't wait. All right. So let's start closing this down then. Uh, remember that if you want to get in touch with us online, you can find us at lollygagerco.com. You can also catch me on Twitter at lollygagerco. And Justin is on Twitch uh, at twitch.tv slash shufa. He's been doing some Apex Legends streaming, as he mentioned earlier in the episode. Uh, so definitely go and check that out. Uh, give us some tips on how to be a better player, better teammate, and uh, make sure that he's There's not... There's an infinite number of Gabe doing all the carrying. Yeah, I can use a lot of help. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if you like what we're doing, uh, we'd love it if you could rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you listen to us on. And if you want a little bit of extra credit, uh, maybe log into iTunes and drop us a starred review. Uh, it's amazing how much this helps us. Uh, gets uh, get some more recognition, get us up there on certain recommend recommendation lists and stuff like that. So uh, that would be great if you could do. 
Uh, if you could do that for us, uh, Justin, say something funny. I hate you, Jeremy. All right, good night, everybody. <laughs>